Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's a privilege to come together to study the Word of God. And as we study the Word of God, our thoughts are in tune with the Word as been written and taught in the Scriptures. And we're talking about a chapter in which there is something very interesting that, um, I don't know, uh, we need to consider and look at. There are three parables that are given by Jesus in this chapter. All three parables are about something that was lost, that was found. The writer of this book is the Apostle Paul, who confessedly was lost and then found. Since there are three parables, it would seem to be an assertion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who confirm without question or doubt the gathering together of those who had been considered without salvation and the possibility of such. It first begins with the parable uh, of the lost sheep. And the lost sheep was one that the publicans and the scribes had no confidence in or thought there was no possibility that they could be invited in to the kingdom of God. And they murmured, and they said, hey, you know, this, uh, this Jesus, he brings in some suspecting people, some that uh, we don't think ought to be here. And because we don't think they ought to be here, we're going to complain. Now, if this would be left without any thought of the Apostle Paul, it might be something that we would overlook and not understand. But if this is a defense that God is making, of him bringing in what was called the chief of sinners into the church of Christ, it adds to the emphasis of the possibility of obedience that those who would seemingly have no possibility could rejoice and be glad in. Jesus had been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they didn't like what he had to hear, so they kind of walked off and left him alone. And when they'd walked off and left him alone and deserted him, the uh, publicans and the sinners thought, "Ah, oh, I've got a chance now. We're, we're going to get to go up and see what we can do here, see how we're going to be treated. And so they drew near unto him. Now, the phrase draw near is not something you can overlook. 
These terms and phraseologies are key points and words which have possibilities that we need to comprehend. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you, James 4. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were those who were uh, nigh. And nigh means they had an opportunity and an invitation. But those who were afar off had to draw near. They who were afar off were always considered the Gentile. Now the leader of the church of Christ for the world was the apostle Paul. And it was his commission by Jesus Christ to go to the Gentile. The lost sheep of the house of Israel was not one that God had spent time to go after, but the drawing nigh came about by the Gentile who in the uh, Old Testament was said they that were in darkness saw a great light. And this great light was that which attracted them. That's Isaiah 9 and 2. And as that great light attracted them, they were drawn to it. It's just like if you ever have a flashlight at the night, you'll see that the bugs and everything draw to the light. Well, these drew near to Christ. And when the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw them drawing nigh, they turned down, they, they, they looked around and turned their nose down on it. They said, this man receiveth sinners, and he even eats with them. Now, this eating means that you have in common a fellowship, or that they are good enough to sit at your table. There's a lot of people that uh, make a big issue out of eating in a church building or eating meals and stuff like that. But you'll find out that this was a form of socialization that the early church participated in to show acceptance. And it was the Apostle Paul that was discussing this subject uh, with Simon Peter when in Galatians... Peter was eating with the Gentiles after a worship service. Now, I know that was not supposed to happen, but that was what was going on. But he was eating with the Gentile brethren, and there's probably some Jews sitting around. And when he saw the disciples from Jerusalem come down, Peter got up and went over and left the Gentile brethren as to disfellowship them or in an act of animosity. And Paul, of course withstood him to the face for he was to be blamed. But here we have these parables. Three. And the degree of God's participation greatly enlarges in each parable. Now in the first, and we studied a little bit last week, this was the one that was lost to God. This was the sheep that had gotten out of the fold. This was one out of 99, and he made the hundreds. And to show how important he was, the Lord left 99 in the wilderness, and he went after the one that was lost. And I like this until he found it. You see, it was lost to God. There was nothing in that situation or condition that it was in that God could do for him. He was away. He had no ability to have someone to, as we say today, watch his back. He had nobody to protect him from heaven. He had no means of attacking any error that would come his way 
Because when you desert God, he had put himself in a position that God could do nothing for him. Not only was he lost to God, he was lost to the flock. You see, in the flock there was protection. There was communion. There was protection around him from those enemies that were natural, that was without. And when he could function in and with the flock, there was just a natural situation that made it far better for him than it was to be away from the flock. And then he was lost to himself. How did he know where to go? How did he know where he was? How is it that he was exposed to beasts and to wild animals and everything like that and didn't know which way to go for safety? And of course, another thing that the shepherd always did is that he led the sheep to green pastures. Which way were the green pastures? If there was no place for him to go to eat, how could he feed upon? And in a situation of his weakened condition and starving body, if these green pastures were not those things he was led to, how would he not die in famine? Now, there's something that's very interesting about this story if it relates to the Apostle Paul, as I think it does. It shows that this was a sheep of valor and stature and strength. But he'd been lost to God. You see, the covenant had changed. The new rule had been given. And the will of Jesus Christ had been probated. As it was probated, they who was not a part of that will would not have strength. And others who had not come into that will would have been cut off. Now, it doesn't matter how strong you are. A lot of times, if you don't know that God is with you, and you're not sure that God's got your back, or if you're not protected by the providence of God in a special sense as he does his children, you just don't know how bad off you can be without hope, without God in the world. Then as he left the flock with no strength or support there, he had no camaraderie. No, it seemed to me like as I was studying the Apostle Paul as he was Saul, that he was the only one that's really interested in attacking the church of Christ. The Sanhedrin was kind of a hands-off situation. Leave them alone, they'll die out. It was something that they didn't seem to have the energy or the enthusiasm, but the apostle who became Paul, who was first Saul of Tarsus, was the only Jew of his day that had the energy and the courage and the strength. And instead of having the Sanhedrin to come look for a champion that would go out like they did with David when Saul went to fight the Philistines, Saul sent out the order, look for a champion. Yeah, we need to sacrifice a boy to this old boy, uh, Goliath. Look for a champion, and, and we'll, 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 we'll put a crown on him, and we'll give him vestments to use. They didn't go looking for anybody. No, Saul had to go looking for them. Have you ever noticed the latency in a laid-back fashion and 
seemingly like the I don't care attitude that the Jew had for this new thing that had come along called the Church of Christ, which was attacking the very basis and premise by which the Jewish church existed. They didn't seem to care. And Paul was all out by himself. In fact, he had to go to the Sanhedrin and sequester letters and authority that he might bind them of this way called the Church of Christ and jail them and kill them in the name of his God. And, of course, you know, I guess they gave him some money and some letters and said, you know, just get away. It's like a fly, shoe fly, don't bother me. And Saul of Tarsus went around, when Tarsus went around, and became known as, to the Church of Christ as the Mad Dog of Benjamin. But he was the only one in town. The rest of the sheep seemed like they thought they were at safety. They were in the hub of authority in Jerusalem. They were in control of themselves and their government. They were fat and sassy in Zion. And it seemed like it just didn't bother them that much. But he was the energetic one. Well, out on his own, he was there exposed. Left to himself, he was trying to seek and find. And, of course, as we know on the road to Damascus, about 10 years after Jesus was crucified, the Lord met him there. Exposed to all the, that, that this strength of courage of doctrine would allow him, Paul was in a special desperate, desperate situation. And then he comes up with the parable of the lost coin. Now this was a woman. The other were men. This was Now what's interesting about this is that the women had no covenantal relationship with God under the Old Testament. You never see where a woman was circumcised, of course. You never see where they went to the Sabbath observances. You never see where they went to the temple three times a year. Oh, they may have gone along with their husband, but they had a special place for the women to sit, and it wasn't in the temple. It wasn't there to worship God. There was no law under which the Old Testament covered the Jewish female. So what's kind of interesting is in this lost coin, we come up with someone that is not in covenant relationship with God at all. Now, whether you figure this is the Jewish woman or whether you figure this is the representative of the Gentile world, that's up to you to use. But this woman had 10 pieces of silver. I don't know if you've paid any attention or not, but silver seems to be that which represents the spirit or the heart of the individual in the Old Testament as we study. And she is one who has 10 pieces and lost one. Now, what's interesting about this fact is that she lost one and she lived in a house with a dirt floor, sounds like. Now, if you've ever tried to find at night a lost coin in a house with a dirt floor, or if she had wooden floors, or if she had uh, tile or marble or granite, it didn't matter, but it seems to me like she had a dirt floor. 
and she got a candle. Now, how is it in a dark room where the darkness is so great that candlelight would enable you to find something that would be almost the color of the sand or the dirt that was in the floor at night? Now, we know there's a difference in uh, candlelight and sunlight. So the day in waiting would be something that would not allow her or would allow her to have a great or opportunity if she could open the door of her house so that the light could come in to find it. But the necessity, the emergency seemed to be to find that one coin that night and the only thing that she could gather was a candle. Now, if you study the Old Testament, you'll find out that the Bible talks about the candlelight versus the sunlight. And the candlelight is always represented as of the law of Moses. And the woman as a female had no covenant relationship under the law of Moses, so it treated the law of Moses in the feminine sense as one who had no covenant relationship with God. Or the Gentile people who had lost the way and were in total darkness without light. But what would the candle do on a dirt floor with a silver coin. Now, of course, all of us think silver is always going to be clear and shiny and easy to see. But if you've ever seen any silver that's been around for a long time, it gets old and dingy and kind of tarnished looking. And when it's passed or lost in some sand or in a dirt floor in a place where there's no thing to show its brightness or there's no light to glimmer off of it, what are the chances of it being found? She follows, continues, as the Bible says. This woman, as she got this, intended to find it. She followed, and she followed with the light. Now, instead of having the bright light of the Word of God, she had the candlelight of the law of Moses and as the light is that which always refers to the Spirit, and the Spirit is the message by which the light shines, she had been walking in all the light that she had as an ability to find. And she kept finding. Jesus said, seek, and you shall find. And in the Old Testament, they had sought but couldn't find the way. There was no way for them to be. Now, all of us were looking in darkness in Isaiah 53 and 6. They that were in darkness, Isaiah 9 and 2, they that were in darkness saw a great light. And Isaiah 53, in what many times is referred to as the story of the cross of Calvary, you'll see that in the 56th chapter and the 53rd chapter and the 6th verse, the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here we have the parable of the one who is the light bearer. 
And he is the one that can talk about they who can come to the sheep because the sheep are perishing without God. And this sheep had been put on his shoulders and brought back. And if this sheep cannot be found, there would be no reason to compare him to be lost. And the woman passionately was grieving. She seemingly had even lost her appetite for sleep. She just couldn't get this out of her mind. She had ten, lost one. The shepherd had ninety-nine and lost one. The guilt, the, 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 the comparison of the uh, discussion is beyond the reason of understanding unless this one is beyond importance to the others that were in safety. This silver was the drachma according to the Jewish study, and it was that which was the silver which came from the royal mine, and it was that that had been stamped by the king with his image on it. And it always refers to, in the Old Testament, the soul and spirit, which shows that man had been in the likeness of God. And this coin had plunged into the dirt, had been overwhelmed by the world, and therefore God had sent his son to go and find in this dirt floor that which he had made possible as the light of the world. The light, the candle of the gospel, was that which he would use so that those who were in nakedness and darkness could find the way. And they had to be gathered up as the floor was swept or the conviction of the word of God had entered into their heart and made them desire fellowship with God so that the seeker who would continually try to be looking for the aspects that we know as this coin could find the coin and return it to its proper place. Now, explaining that the experience is that that has come about by learning from mistakes. The value of the shekel was, I mean, of the drachma was about a quarter of a shekel and our numerical value was not great. But the fact that all of this is talking about one thing remains something that we've got to understand. Somebody was bringing somebody else home. You see, the story of God is mercy. And God delights in showing mercy. And the trade-off of time and expense and effort to find what seemingly was worthless and unimportant shows us that we do not comprehend or understand the value of what God was doing in sending Christ to this world. The good would be just as glad if they were not involved in this study. So the Jews, in thinking themselves good, or the church, in thinking themselves the Jewish church of which Paul was not a part, would not be satisfied if Paul was there preaching and teaching. 
because he was not one of them, one of their kind, or one of their own. And the self-justifying Jew had turned the Apostle Paul down, would not be one who was in agreement with the story and understanding that Jesus had come to make possible the salvation of the world. Life from death was the theme in both instances and in the third parable that will be given, showing that the joy of God was not the pleasure of man and the fellowship of God was not the pathetic Pharisee and Sadducee, but that the one individual that stood out and was apart and separate and distinct from all that existed that they could be a part of the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> now, in analysis, all of these things are true. And they point to the story that will, as we begin next week, talk about the lost son and the realization that is ours in the very fact that God has invited us home. And Jesus answers the question that we have to always find an understanding. And that is there is no one that God doesn't seek that is his own. Of all the things that we've discussed, the thing I want to bring to your attention now with a lot of dr drama or drama is that every one of these that he went after had been his from the beginning. The sheep had belonged to the Lord from the start. The coin had belonged to the woman from the start. The boy had belonged to the father from his birth. These were not out in the world away from God and without God. They were those who were a part of the plan of God that God intended to find and bring home. By themselves and of themselves, they could not accomplish what had been allowed. And so God himself, Christ, had come to make sure that they who were apart and belonged to God understood his plan, found the gospel so that they could be brought home and return to the fellowship of God with which and in whom they had once enjoyed. Now, folks, if we don't read these parables with these things in mind and understanding what's being discussed and understood, we lose the whole concept. Somebody says, well, have you heard the story about the woman that lost the one coin? The old woman was so tight-fisted that she got up in the middle of the night and she called her friends. And she brought them in. You know, it's pretty bad to call your friends in in the middle of the night in the sandy floored house to look for a coin that looks as much like the sand and the dirt as, as the coin itself and get a candlelight of all things. They didn't bring their candlelight. She only looked with one candlelight. And she had this one candlelight. And she brought them in, all of her friends and all of her neighbors, together. They came as an assembly. 
And when they got there, she said, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Now, did she bring them in to look, or did she bring them in after she had found? Well, the very ones that wouldn't seem to be important to her uh, to find was the thing that she brought her her family and friends in and neighbors to want to rejoice with her. She wanted to share this joy of the mercy of God that traded upon the return that God would have for his investment in time and effort to find. To show the value of what it considerably was value less to them. To see the mercy of God when it had to deal with a man or a nation of people that had been considered by those who were fat and sassy in their own uh, sanctimonious salvation not to accept those for whom he had died. When you understand these parables and look at the relationship between the three and see the correlation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit and the part in which each played in the plan of eternity, you can see that Jesus was really answering the question that the Pharisees and the Sadducees ask, who will he make part of his church? And the ones that had asked the question were the ones who didn't have the invitation because they weren't a part of his plan to start with. They were not trying to look and therefore were not seeking. And they would not be brought home because they had no home from which they had left. You know, it's opportunity a lot of times that causes us to see the plan of God in a way that we need to look at it. This opportunity could be Uh, the absence of a coin, something that would be needful or something that would complete a set or something that would be of great value because of of its uh, circumstance or situation. There's a lot of people that have told me that these coins or this coin was the signet or that which was that which the woman wore as a wedding ring. Did she have 10 wedding rings? Was she married to 10 men? Or was this just to show that God had such a great love for that which seemed to be insignificant and unimportant that he sent his son to buy something so unimportant that people would have thrown it and kicked it away and considered, oh, you know, i got nine left. I'll just, ten's not that important. Or this sheep, weak and weary, out on its own, without God, without the fellowship of the community is the sheepfold, without the strength of support and confidence that was given was something that God had gone for and it stood out singular and separately from the rest of man and the world for it was something that had been a part of the plan of God from the beginning that God intended to find and he would bring home to be a part of the fellowship in the kingdom of God or the church of Christ when it came into existence. To set this precedent or to set this up as Jesus is doing so, we are now ready to begin the discussion of one of the greatest parts of the parables of the three that will help us and enable us 
over the next Sunday or two to understand the lost son. A certain man had two sons. In order to do this, in order to understand it, I wanted to set this up as an example and as a prerequisite to show that these parables were all about the same thing. But the one that gets all the attention is the parable of the two sons. But without the other two parables and without the understanding in the background of what went on behind this, we'd lose the value of the parable of the two sons. Now, there's a lot of people in the Bible that had two sons. One was lost, and the other thought he wasn't. Isaac had two sons. A lot of people had them. But when it talked about those who belonged to God, they were sons. They were a part of God to begin with. Then we can appreciate the very fact of the mercy and the love of God as he extended. Then, if we understand that this book was given by inspiration through Paul as Luke wrote it, and as a treatise in defense of the fact that Paul had been called from the chief of sinners to the chief of those who were the apostles of Jesus Christ, and that God sought to defend his position before the Jewish world, and those who would refuse Paul for the position that he had once held, allows us to appreciate the prodigal son in a way that we'd never understand it. If you're here and need to respond to the invitation of the gospel this morning, these parables ought to give you a joy and a thrill beyond anything that we have. This my son was dead. Now he is alive again. He's lost, but now he is found. Oh, what a joy and a thrill. God has shed his love toward us and shed it abroad. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ came looking for his sheep, or Christ died for the ungodly. We who are children of God then are given the opportunity of the remission of sins. Unlike any other kind of people in this world, we're given that offer. And Jesus said, in order to comprehend that offer, he said, I'll make it plain and outspoken. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. If you're here this morning and you're subject to the invitation of the gospel, will you come as we stand and sing? As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Well, good morning. 
We're going to continue our study in the idea of infant baptism and babies being baptized, in inborn sin from Adam, and those things which some believe and teach uh, is an inherent tradition of their organization and church. Again, I will remind you that there was not one child or baby baptized in the New Testament. This is a teaching that has been uh, profited upon men by several organizations that think that they know better than God, that they have interceded and uh, interpreted and looked into some things that do not exist. Now, when they teach these things, other than what's in the Word of God, they place themselves in Moses' seat or in the seat of authority or responsibility. So they will pay for those things which they have progressed and projected to man. We're going to continue our study this morning in Luke 16, 1 and 2, because again, in Christ's words, does he emphasize the fact that a man is accountable man or woman, an adult, is accountable for what they say and believe and what they practice. Luke 16, 1 and 2 says this, and speak, Christ speaking, And he said unto his disciples, There's a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto them, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer a steward. We can unqualify ourselves from the grace and the love of our God. Uh, and some believe that God loves everybody. And we, can ex- and we can extinguish our relationship from our God by not doing and following the road map and the prescription and the direction that He's given us in His book. Now this morning there are some things I want to look at and study so that we might have the opportunity of going to the point in time where we continue to get this understanding that the baptizing of children has absolutely nothing to do with their salvation. It doesn't save them. It doesn't uh, cause them to be a different person. It doesn't cause them to obey the Word of God. It doesn't make them aware that there is a God. So how cruel there is for those men who teach that a child is born with sin. We have a distinct misunderstanding of sin and error against the Word of God. Sin is when you miss the mark. Sin is where you do not do what you know that you've heard and obeyed and supposed to do. Sin separates you from God. So when these babies are born, they're born separated from their Creator. I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? How unfortunate is it that there are organizations that teach those things and do not uh, give us the chance to appreciate the truth of the Word? These children are not born full of sin. They are not born uh, with Adam's sin. One of the ideas that we can progress and illustrate is that if that be true, the flood didn't do its job. If that be true, there was unrighteousness and sin that got on that ark. God's intention was to wipe man out and to start all over again. Start all over again with what? With sin being implanted in babies. You'll notice there were no babies on that ark. 
So even if Noah and his uh, seven family members were saved by water and saved by the ark, there were no babies that were saved on the ark. There were no babies that were saved by water. Now, maybe some of the daughter-in-laws were pregnant and uh, uh, may have been uh, carrying children. But even if they had children on the ark, they could not have understood anything that was going on. They wouldn't know what an ark was. They wouldn't have known uh, the saving of Noah's family. They wouldn't have understood any any of those things. This morning we're going to go to. Uh, we're also going to turn to First Corinthians four, uh, one and two, and we're going to uh, read so that we understand that this salvational message is for the mature and understanding mind. Uh, those uh, children that have special needs. They've got a free pass. Those that are not able to mentally comprehend the gospel of Jesus Christ will see. And even aborted babies. All Satan is doing with abortion is filling up heaven. They have not sinned, nor have they had the ability to confess their sins. They've not even had the ability to understand that they've sinned. So we realize this thing about abortion uh, is even Satan uh, didn't realize or doesn't understand when he promulgates this idea on men. He doesn't understand and doesn't realize that what he's doing all of us and God a favor. He's sending those little babies directly to where they came from. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says this, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. We have a definite responsibility as stewards of the Word of God and the mysteries of God. And I can assure you that baby baptism is not one of those mysteries. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, a baby or a child cannot be faithful. If First of all, if they're born with sin, they don't have faith and they don't have the ability to be faithful. If they're baptized, nowhere is faith applied to uh, a child or a baby or someone that doesn't have the mental capacity to understand. Faith is not applied to them. Faith is the word trust. Faith is what you trust in God. We read His Word and believe all that He has given us is for our admonition and for our acknowledgement and for our salvation. There's nothing in this Word that He tries to trick us with or confuse us and make us understand something other than what He has intended for us. And again, we'll look at this idea and this perception that, that God has given to us this direction. Now, to think otherwise is to think that he had a purpose for tricking us. There wouldn't have been any reason for him to have put this word forward if that were the case. And here we say in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 that we're the stewards of that word. We are his representatives of what Christ did upon the earth. Christ never baptized anybody nor did he baptize any babies. The people that were baptized under his teaching and leading were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians 4.15 gives us some additional information and clues. For though, uh, 
You have 10,000 instructors in Christ. You have uh, not many fathers. Uh, for in Jesus Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Now babies and infants cannot read, cannot understand, and cannot pre- comprehend the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many things that are fostered upon man that are not true. Thankfully, we have His Word to find our way into lighter path. And thankfully, we have the opportunity to see and understand what God's intention was for us. We're going to go to Colossians uh, 2 and verse 8. And we're going to close with this this morning. Out of the Catholic Bible, it says this, See to it that no one deceives you by philosophy or vain deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elements of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead boldly, is verse 9. And in 10 it says, To whom He is the head, He is the head of every uh, principality and power, you have received that fullness. The Catholic Bible itself states, Don't be deceived by evil philosophies and vain deceit. Thank you for listening. Our point is, and our message is, is to teach Christ and Him crucified and the truth of His Word. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash PSL Church of Christ. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSL Church of Christ. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.
never rise to bless thy lonely. 